You're listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and today I am joined by somebody that is not only smart and educated, unlike me, who's kind of just educated, but not that smart. I've got a smart guy on the line here with me. And his name has been associated with every text that NASM has ever put out, I think. Uh, We've got somebody who's been here for a long time. He is my friend and a colleague of mine, Brian Sutton. It's good to have you with us. Thank you, Rick. Um, And no, you're cutting yourself short. You are one of the smartest people I've ever met. So yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It goes to show how little we actually know each other, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, good to how see long you. have you been with NASM, dude? You've been here longer than I have, and I started yeah. in 2006, I believe. I started in 04. So, okay. yeah, yeah, we're, 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 we're not, not much. Yeah, we're part of the OG crew, I guess, if you want to call us that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, it feels like it. Well, we, basically, so it's you and then the other uh, instructors for NASM that have been around, what's going to be uh, Wendy Batts. Marty Miller, Tony Amber, right? Those are the three, and Ken Miller because Ken Miller. he's kind of one of those that we're in, and uh, we didn't. Know, we don't, who's Ken Miller? Nobody. Knows. I but, love Ken. <laughs> <laughs> so those are the guys that were there before me, and then there was you. So there's only a handful of people who have been around for this this period of time, um, and you know, and, and I think I think. To say that you know a group of us have been around speaks a lot to it, but then a lot of people have gone to do different things, and it's interesting seeing our friends and colleagues uh, mm-hmm. out into the world of fitness. And I feel like everybody has stayed fitness, and that's the allure of this industry, right? Like once you're in it, it's like it's like Pringles. I think once you pop, you can't stop. You just <laughs> you found something that's a cool place. It's a cool job. It's a great industry. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's intriguing. It's changing. Um, and you know, shout out to you and what you have done with NASM to to be a big part of some of the changes that we're implementing. Uh, thank you. Yeah, you know, it's been a it's been a wild ride. You know, it's a long journey. So um, when I started, yeah, back in '04, I mean, I had some wonderful mentors. You know, all the guys that we know and are still colleagues and friends with, uh, Mike Clark's and the Rodney Corns and yeah. uh, the Scott Lucets and and all of them. And you know, they're still wonderful people. And I wouldn't be where I'm at without their mentorship early on in my career. Yeah. Um, and now it's it's wonderful because I get to pay it forward. And so now I have a team and I try to do the exact same thing that they did for me coming up, you know, not only teaching them the content, but then how to develop curriculum, how to write books, how to direct video shoots and how to put the most evidence-based content we can out for our professionals. So it's been, it's been wonderful. I, I mean, I do, I have a unicorn job. Most jobs like this don't (laughs) exist, you know? So, uh, yeah, I couldn't be more thrilled um, having oh, colleagues awesome. like you, you know, Thank you. for sure. Wendy Batts, Ken Miller, Marty Miller, all, the whole crew, Tony Ambler, right? I mean, just a really fun, dynamic, super smart group of people to work with. So, I mean, how could you go wrong? Why would I want to go anywhere that's else? True. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. I think uh, the next guest that I have is going to be Tony. So oh, uh, he's been yeah. on once before, actually. So we we like having Tony on. We're going to get him back in here and so he can that's share brilliant. off. Talk about this guy. This guy big brains. That guy. 
That guy's got a big brain. That guy's, <laughs> that guy's got a big got brain. A big bra- I, you know what I think? Um, and I, I heard this and I think it might be true that he has the, what's the, what's the memory, the photographic memory? Oh, sure. So he probably does. I think he, I think he's got a photographic memory and, and if he doesn't, uh, you're just stupid smart. So there, there's that Tony <laughs> and you're listening. Uh, tell us, so you're going to be speaking at Optima and Optima's, mm-hmm. I mean, right around the corner. So uh, for those of you who do not know and may not be familiar with Optima, Optima is a conference and it is put on by the National Academy of Sports Medicine, NASM. And the Optima conference has some of the most wonderful presenters uh, from uh, from the fitness industry. And we've got this is certainly a lot of the NASM faculty and, and crew that will be presenting. But we also have presenters from all over the place. So, um, you know, people that are out there doing research, people that are part of uh, the research team for for NASM, and they they might be um, they might be a research professor at a university somewhere mm-hmm. where they're they're teaching and they're doing so, and and then they contribute to to these. So it's wonderful. But you are going to be doing something. Uh, this year that I find to be pretty interesting, and we've talked about this for a while, like just mm-hmm. you know, kind of touch points. But there's there are going to be a few updates to the OPT model. Yes, and yeah, gasp, really gasp from around the room. Everybody, oh, what? <laughs> what are we talking about? This is the, so the OPT model is the anchor. It is mm-hmm. it is our 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 programming our periodization model. Um, talk to us a little bit about the updates, but maybe also talk to us about why there were updates that were made sure. because there's got to be a reason why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah, um, just to give people a bit of historical context. So OBT was first developed in the late 90s and early 2000s uh, by Mark, Mike Clark, you know, our former CEO and physical therapist for the Suns. Um, brilliant man, one of my mentors. And uh, it was really a model developed to improve athletic performance. Um, And so back then he was uh, working in the 1996 Olympics, working with with those athletes, uh, a lot of pole vaulters. His wife is a former Olympic pole vaulter. Um, And he developed OPT to maximize athletic performance. And what he found was not only was it great for athletic performance, but it really helped the average fitness enthusiasts lose weight, gain strength, better endurance, the whole nine, right? We're all athletes in some form or another, right? Whether it's to be a super mom, you know, and, and running around helping, you know, kids, or uh, I'm a busy executive and I have to manage my time, but still stay healthy. And so one of the things with OPT is, even though it was originally developed for athletic performance, um, it had tremendous crossover to uh, everyday fitness and health. And so that's where it started. And it's gone through iterations over the years. This is not the first time we've ever updated OPT. Um, We updated OPT uh, again in 2005. And now with new science that's coming out, we've decided to update it again. And um, these updates are all based on evidence. It's not just hearsay. It's not just Brian Sutton or the people in the ivory towers of NESM making a decision. That's that's not how this works. Um, we 
we worked with a big team of, of uh, experts in various fields, whether it's behavior change or athletic performance or strength and hypertrophy or physical therapy. And we gathered all those group of experts into a room and um, the updates took, uh, gosh, probably about two years to where finally we're like, we agreed upon what we were gonna do. So it was a, it was a, it was a big undertaking. It was a fun undertaking. It was, I mean, just getting a bunch of big brains in the room like that and, and talking about client outcomes and, and what we right. can do to improve. Um, you know, because one of the big things um, is adherence. So we wanted yeah. to introduce um, behavior change techniques into OPT. So that's one of the oh. things that we did. Yeah. Um, and then. So let me let me just say it's interesting because because behavior change has been in the textbook. So it's been part of the conversation, but it's never been part of the model. So is is behavior change now being put into the model itself? Sort of. So okay. there are right. behavior change techniques now that a uh, fitness professional can use to maximize adherence. And so I'll, I'll throw out a little nugget. Um, so one of the new things that we added to the model was, or actually in the OPT template. So if someone's filling out a workout form is called client choice. Call more like dessert exercises. So, if a fitness professional wanted to have uh, the the client choose a couple exercises that they like, yeah. now we're giving them a little bit more flexibility to add some of those things. So, if I'm working with your average gym rat and he really wants to work biceps that day, and I'm like, oh, you know, we're working on stability training. Okay, maybe at the end of the workout we can do some dumbbell curls. You know, yeah, that, right. <laughs> that sort of uh, behavior change, dessert type of exercises. They earned it. They went through the workout. And now they get to choose a few exercises that they like. Or maybe it's someone who wants to work on her hips and thighs, and we can do some some glute medius okay. work or some core exercises, whatever it may be. So yeah, we added a few little nuggets like that into the workout template to give fitness professionals a little bit more room to program. I, I love that. So one of the most interesting things that I had worked on in school, when I did my program uh, in health science, it was, it was one third of it was in adult education. And I think it's really interesting when they talk about adult education, we talk about how adults learn and usually it includes one big thing in my estimation based on uh, Malcolm Knowles principles of andragogy or adult education, which is everybody's trying to solve a problem. So a lot of people aren't necessarily learning to, to learn a lot of, a lot of, and, and people do, I mean, people are history buffs, they learn to learn. So, uh, sure. and they love that stuff, but a lot of times they want to solve problems. So you know, if it's if, if it's going to a personal trainer, why are you doing that? I'm seeking education and somebody to teach me because I want to solve a problem regarding weight loss or whatever the, the case is. But everybody, another thing is that everybody has a past experience. Sure. And, you know, nobody likes being told what to do. And we've always heard the personal trainers go, look, you don't you don't stand over your plumber and tell your plumber the right way to do it. And the difference is, is that there, there are right ways to do things in plumbing and, and wrong ways. And in fitness, there are a lot of right ways to do things. 
there are many options that we can take. So to stand over somebody and dictate to them, this is the only way to do it. Just follow me. Don't ask any questions because we also understand that when people are a part of their education, when they are a part of the process of learning and a part of the process um, of developing their learning objectives, then they adhere to it better. So to give somebody the option, I used to hate it, Brian. I used to hate when people were like, uh, I'd hear trainers when I walk in and be like, what do you want to do today? So what do you want to do today? And, and I think oh one of the reasons I really hated that is because you just didn't have a plan or a program. Right. But in many instances, I, I also try to back off of that now, or I implement it even with a program in place where I would say, is there anything particular you want to do today? Or is there anything we did last time that you absolutely hated and that you would like to avoid? Sure. Um, and that just gives somebody the you know part. They're participating. They're, they're a piece of it. And then they are adults. So they can make these decisions. And then I can be there as a fitness professional to be like, well, I see what you're saying. I don't think that's a good exercise just based off of maybe, you know, you've got this thing with your low back and I think that that, you know, a double leg raise might hurt it. So mm -hmm. perhaps, you know, like just to give some guidance, but get that feedback. And if we're going to give reasons that, or we're going to tell people they can't do something, then to provide a reason why they can't do it. Let there be a rationale behind it. Yeah, I mean, all of our clients, I'm, well, majority of our clients are going to be adults, right? And so they have past experiences to gleam off of. Um, they may have tried exercise before. And to completely negate all their past experiences and just say, follow me. I know right. best because I'm the professional really invalidates their own feelings. And so we never sure. want to do that as a, as a professional. But at the same time, yes, we need a plan. Right. And I think OPT provides that that plan. I like to think of it. I'm going to steal this analogy from one of my colleagues. He talks about bowling, but we're just putting on the bumper rails. Right. So we're still guiding. Yeah. We're guiding them through a path um, with some with some bumper rails to help them stay on path so they don't uh, lose their way or get injured. Right. Because that's oftentimes a. Uh, a negative side effect of fitness is when someone starts out and maybe they're very gung-ho about it. They want to lose the weight or they want to make the varsity basketball team or whatever their goals may be. Uh, and so as, as fitness professionals, we, sh we need to be coaches. We need to be guides. Um, yes, we're definitely experts when it comes to exercise programming, but we want to do that in a way that's nurturing and mentoring um, rather than being some sort of autocratic type of dictator to them. I mean, some people may like that, you know, especially if you're military style boot camps and, and they're looking for, you know, just tell me what to do and, and I don't, I won't question it. But oftentimes, I mean, we're both trainers. We, we know what it's been like to work with clients. Um, and they may say, oh, you know what? I hate this exercise. It just, I just can't stand, okay. Well, let's, let's find something else that you will adhere to, but still get the same outcomes. Because there's a million exercises, right? right. We, don't, we don't have to just choose these 20 exercises in a box. There's so many variations that we can do and still get the same outcome. So that's one of the nice things is provide them a, a path, provide them a guide, provide them those bumper rails so they don't stray um, and, and throw a gutter ball. But we want to make sure that they get to their destination safely and effectively. And I think... That's one of the things that NASM, you know, we constantly are, are teaching uh, is 
you know, let's be the mentors, let's be the guides, let's be the expert, and let's be let's do that in a nurturing way that the client eventually will adhere to their own program, right? And they see the benefits, and there's so many more benefits than just physical, right? Just the emotional sure. benefits, the psycholo psychological benefits, the health benefits when someone doesn't have to, you know, take their high blood pressure medication, or maybe they decrease their insulin requirements, or whatever it may be. Right that's that's the power of personal training that's the power of fitness and i think a lot of people unfortunately miss that when they are in that autocratic mindset it's like i know what's best just do what i say um and if the client loves that great you know we want to mirror what what but they that's like. an easy but, job right like if all, you, all they do is just say okay when you tell them what to do, then that makes your job as a trainer super easy. That you can bark at them, tell them what to do. Is you do the program? This is the exercise. These are the sets, reps, rest. Everything's in there. It's super easy. But when people actually start to express to you, you know, I I don't feel comfortable with this, or I really hate this exercise, or uh, you know, I feel a pinch when I do this, and you know, people, you get a chance to to listen to them, and then you have to be a better trainer because you have to make switches. You have to right. change things based on the feedback that you're uh -huh. getting in order to, and, and ultimately our job, like we, we set things up, Brian, like in a, in a perfect world situation, here's the model, right? Like sure. here's the, we're going to go stability, uh, strength, we into the power. We've got all these little, uh, phases within the levels. And we say, all right, well, you know, ideally we go from here to here to here, and these are the exercises and these are the components of that program. And people listen and they don't talk back. And, you know, right. and you get that right. a lot of time in sports because as a strength and conditioning coach, usually you just tell people what to do and the athletes are beasts and they just sure. do what you tell them to. When you get out of that situation, and most of us are in the fitness industry where people do have opinions about what they're doing people they, are going to yeah. express to you what they think. Absolutely. And training an athlete is a much different animal than training someone who's, you know, seeking better health or, or weight loss. Right. right? Um, and, you know, training an athlete who has a specific athletic goal, whether it's to run faster or jump higher, many times if they're a motivated athlete, just tell me what to do. I'll do anything so I can right. get that medal, get that trophy, make the varsity team, you know, whatever it may be, improve my combine time. Um, and so they're willing to jump through hoops and fire and walk on hot coals if that's what that's it's going right. to take. You know, someone who's struggled with their weight their whole life, you know, it, it's already feels like a struggle. They're already, right. you know, so let, let, let's be a little bit more nurturing. Uh, let's give them some some little nuggets that they can hold on to proud moments that, you know, they can be like, ah, that felt great. Cause when you feel great, you move more. And when you move more, more things happen for you. So that's one of the things we wanted to do with OBT was provide a, a bit more of that client management into the model. Um, and then some of the other things that we've updated is, is been all on, on based on the science. I know you had Brad Schoenfeld on there. Uh, we did, on yeah. a, yeah, you know, great guy. I worked with him in the past. Uh, him and I actually wrote, co-wrote the course NASM's Guide to Bodybuilding many years ago. So, oh. uh, yeah. I didn't know yeah. that he would contributed to that. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, was, uh, yeah. Oh. So, really, really smart guy. Uh, I, I went guy. to his class um, and I was a guest speaker for a day at Lehman College up there. And uh, oh, did you? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went in and spoke to his class. And that was my first time meeting him because he had a student that came to a workshop that I did. And he told me that. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'd love to meet him. And anyway, he connected us and uh, I was able to go up there and, and, and speak. So that was that was a that was a pleasure. That was one of those professional uh, starstruck moments. Right. Yeah. Like yeah, I'm getting sure. to meet Brad Schoenfeld, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. I, we've all had those moments, you know, and uh, I, I felt that way when I was working with him. Uh, and, you know, granted, that was, oh, gosh, that eight, 10 years ago. I don't, I don't even know how long yeah. ago it was. Maybe, maybe not quite that long ago when him and I worked together on that project. Um, but he's, you know, he's been one of the foremost authorities on hypertrophy training. Right. And we have a phase in OPT, all is, which is completely dedicated to hypertrophy. So why wouldn't we update that phase based on the latest research that Brad and others in, in the science community have been contributing? So uh, we've updated it with different acute variables um, that show that you can gain hypertrophy, whether it's um, low rep, medium rep or high rep training. So we okay. widened the bumpers a little bit. Um, I was I was about to put you on the spot based on some of the stuff that I know Brad has written mm -hmm. about what we would normally consider to be endurance training can still provide hypertrophy outcomes. So uh, when you started mentioning it, I was like, oh, Brian is my friend, but I'm about to throw something out. And then you and you covered it. You mentioned it. So I'm I'm very interested. Oh. I'm I'm actually quite proud of NASM for. You know, it's it's easy to say, yeah, but that doesn't fit our model. Sure. Yeah. So uh, congratulations well, well, we, to us. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, yeah, no, we we're constantly looking at the science, and we're constantly looking at what others um, are showing, right? And so, um, yes, oftentimes the science is one step behind what the professionals in the trenches are doing, Practice. right? Yeah. So if the professionals are saying, oh, you know, they're they're doing X, Y, and Z protocol, and it's giving my athletes X, Y, and Z adaptation. Eventually, science picks up on it, just like foam rolling. I mean, 10 years ago, there was hardly any research studies out there or systematic reviews showing the benefits of foam rolling, right? Mm -hmm. Now there's a plethora of it, which is great because we've been teaching foam rolling for 20 years, and we're referencing a lot of the research from massage. Um, right. And now there, now you know, we have partners like, uh, you know, Dr. Scott Cheatham and, and of course Kyle Stoll, who who works for us, who's an NASM faculty, and and these guys are leading experts in, on foam rolling and soft myofascial techniques. So great, now we can, you know, provide even more evidence to what we do. Um, and that, but that was the same thing regarding OPT. It was like, okay, what is the science saying about strength and hypertrophy, and what what are those acute variables? So we've we update it. Um, based and on and one of those updates, which I find to be really interesting, is actually, you know, SMR still exists, but interestingly, the update for for it is self myofascial rolling, but we are no longer really using self myofascial release. Right. And the reason that we're doing that is because we have no idea, even with all the research out there, if there's actually a release that's taking place. Right. Yeah. And and the science is 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 still evolving, but that's yeah. one of the things that we have noticed. Like, is there really a release that you would get in a manual therapy type technique? And we just don't think so, but it doesn't mean that there aren't other components to foam rolling, you know, where it does impact how the fascia and the muscle underneath um, and how it does 
reduce tonicity, but um, to say it's a release may not be 100% factual yet. So let's change the nomenclature. Let's call it self-myofascial rolling. You know, and there's there's many other tools besides a foam roller, you know, like a lacrosse ball or a stick or wh whatever we want to use to to, you know, calm down that nervous system and improve some elasticity in, in the muscle and fascia underneath. So, yeah. So when we get this question, you know, what's wrong with the old way? What's oh, sure. wrong with the old way? What, what not, was wrong with? Yeah. There's nothing. Absolutely nothing wrong with the old way. Uh, the original OBT model. Um, will gain significant benefits for your clients. I, I, I've been training myself with OBT for 20 plus years now. Um, and, you know, I, I originally got certified with NASM many moons ago. And that was my first taste of OBT. And so then I started training myself with OBT. And then eventually I started training clients and then I came on board with NASM and learned even more and more about it. So if someone followed the model to a T, they're going to gain tremendous benefits. Um, all we did really was widen those bumper rails a little bit. Um, we provided a little bit more flexibility um, based on client adherence, client motivation. And we updated a few of the cute variables. We gave the trainer a little bit more options, more options to for their programming based on the science. Um, and so if they want to include new formats that weren't even popular when OPT was originally started, um, you know, HIT and Tabata and some of these other things, they can, right? Um, we're still, but we're providing them a path to do it safely and effectively. So we can still minimize overtraining. We can still minimize, you know, DOMS and, and all those sort of things that could happen if we uh, provide progressive overload too fast or too soon. So we're still providing the guidance, um, but we're just widening those bumper rails a little bit. What do, we, what do you say to people who say that the OPT model is rigid? It's a, it's a whole bunch of supposed tos. Sure. And there's, a, there's somewhat of a truth to that, right? Because it, we have our specific steps and our phases. Um, mm -hmm. But if, if you follow the model, it's really not that rigid because it's, it's, a, it's a model based on principles not a model based on um, just do this one way and then do step two this way and step three this way. It's, it's really, it's based on principles, right? Um, so it's, it's not overly rigid, uh, but what we wanted to do is communicate the fluidity of the model in a better way. So that's, okay. that's what we're doing with, with, with the update is showing how you can use the model for different formats and, and different different programming schemes based on the client and their likes and their dislikes. Um, because whenever you create a system that's based on scientific principles rather than absolutes, there's tremendous freedom in it. And uh, I think we're doing a better job now than we've ever done in the past of trying to explain that to people, right? It's, it's, it's a system of progression. And then once, once you're able to progress systematically in that manner, you can do so many fun things, right? Um, oftentimes, one of the misinterpretations of OPT is like you have to do four weeks of stabilization, four weeks of strength, four weeks of power. That's not true. And, and at NASM, like back in the day when we had the, the clinic with all the professional athletes coming through, we were doing undulating periodization yeah. all the time. 
right? There's no reason why you can't do undulated periodization with OBT. In fact, it's one of the preferred methods to do it. You just have to base it off the client assessment. So yeah. that's the rigidity is what is your client's capabilities? Because you can't pr program something that is too advanced or too difficult for them if they're not there yet. So right. the, the rigidity is what, what, what are your clients capable of? What are their needs, abilities, and goals? And then program around that. All right. So I, I like hearing this because there's, you know, when you put a system together based on principles, I think, you know, you let people know, like, there's not the, the, the programming police that are out there saying, uh, 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 you, you did spinal movement in this exercise and it's supposed to be <laughs> spinal stability. Uh, it, that's, it's okay. But it we want you to program the best way for your clients. And if following that model is that you might have somebody that's progressed in their upper body that is not progressed in their lower body or their, their core, where right. you might be doing, for instance, a phase one stabilization program for the core, but uh, a level, you know, phase two or three for the upper body and lower body, sure. right? So there's, it's a guide. It it's is a guide. guide. And that guide gives you a lot of ranges. I mean, there's a huge range in what's available for people doing reps. I mean, I don't think I know of any other um, system out there that gives you the, the rep range, that gives you the tempo range that even really talks about tempo, uh, right. much less programs it. The rest ranges, you know, like there's, and, and there are ranges in many cases, right? So, you know, when you're doing a hypertrophy training and you might, let's say, um, you know, in, in a traditional sense, there's going to be eight to, to 12 repetitions. Well, it's a, it's a range, right? So you can, you can try to get, you know, three sets of 10 and that's great. But if you get eight, then that's okay. You're still, you're still within a range. Uh, and I think what you're saying, which is interesting is that, you know, based on the evidence, we are expanding those, those bumpers to yeah. allow to a better understanding of where hypertrophy can now take place. And it doesn't necessarily stop at, at 12 reps. And the funny thing is out in the field when we're, we're fielding these questions, you know, and you say, well, well, hypertrophy said to 12 repetitions, but endurance is 12 to, to 20. So is it strength or endurance? Is that, and you're like, it, it, the, the physiology doesn't just go, wait, what number is this? Okay. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hypertrophy. It's, it's just, it's just like uh, energy systems too. And uh, yeah. the body, the body's not on and off light switches, right? We use, I like to use the analogy of a dimmer switch, right? And that's essentially how the body works. Yes. If I'm lifting with heavy loads, I can only physically lift a few repetitions, right? So generally speaking, that's gonna elicit maximal strength type of adaptations and of course some hypertrophy. And then if I'm in that medium range, um, that's gonna be more of a cellular type of adaptation where I'm gonna get that muscular hypertrophy. And then as I go beyond that medium range to higher reps, then it's more muscular endurance. But it doesn't mean if I go, from 12 reps to 13 reps, I'm no longer training hypertrophy. That's just not how the body works, right? Um, and Schoenfeld's research shows you can gain hypertrophy at 20, 30 repetitions. That's, we didn't think that at one time, like how could you get hypertrophy at 30 repetitions? 
Granted, though, you have to look at the population. That's for a non-trained novice person who's just starting out with resistance training. Um, someone who's a, an elite bodybuilder probably won't gain much hypertrophy doing 30 rep schemes. They will have to bring it down and have the load will be a little bit higher. So again, it all depends on the client, the client assessment results that will dictate the programming. Um, and going back to your point about um, the, the reps and everything, we base it off of the the science, but we don't want it to be so rigid. If 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 you're new to programming, if you never trained a client, and you, you this is the first time you ever write in a program down, follow the model to a T. That's one of the reasons why we 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 created it, right? So if you're just not sure and you don't know how to program, then follow the acute variables explicitly. Right, but then as you become more advanced and you've been writing programs for a long time, then you understand, oh, there's there's some wiggle room in here. I can tweak things a little bit, and so that's why it's based on principles. But we provide the the rep ranges, the rest periods, the tempos. So if someone's absolutely confused, they don't know how to write a program, it's it's all spelled out for you. Um, and if you want to work with the model a little bit more, then then you absolutely can. What do you think about the prevalence of personal trainers that are out there doing workouts and they're selling workouts, but they're not selling programs. So for instance, you come and work out with me as a personal trainer, I give you 60 minutes of a workout and, um, but there's nothing necessarily progressive about it. Uh, it's interesting. There's something new every time there, mm -hmm. there are cool things to be done but they don't, nothing necessarily builds or follows uh, a system of progression. Sure. It's a double-edged sword, right? So yeah. on one side, it's, it's great that people are moving, people are exercising, they're expending calories, they're, they're increasing their heart rate and, and their respiration rate, they're, they're building a sweat, they're, they're, it's important for health, right? And they'll get some physical adaptations to it. They'll probably lose weight, they'll probably put on a little bit of muscle, and that's wonderful. Um, but is it optimal? And I think that's where the, the, the difference lies is OPT is optimum performance training, right? We're, we're, we're creating a system for optimal benefit um, because it is systematic and it is progressive. And it, it was always based on the client assessment results. So we're showing a program that's for optimal performance adaptations or optimal health adaptations. Um, so someone can do it in a safe, systematic, progressive fashion. So we know that throughout the journey, uh, we're gonna minimize injury risk. Um, we're gonna maximize adaptations, both physical and physiological and performance. So that's, that's really the difference. So if I'm just working out, right? Or I go to a trainer and they just have me work out, that's that's great. I'm gonna I'm gonna improve some aspects, but I also may roll an ankle. I may also walk home with you know short shoulders, and my back is killing me, and my neck is killing me, and then I might not want to go to the gym the next time. So it's 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 a double-edged sword. So yes, we want people to move. Yes, we want people to exercise. It's so important for life, especially as we sit more and more and more. Right? We have a sedentary problem in in, in this country and other Western world. Um, but if we if we're going to be the true professionals and elevate this profession, um, then 
it should be based on guidelines. It should be based on the evidence. It should be based on sound science um, and not just let's throw a bunch of exercises together. That's not programming. That's physical activity. Right. Yeah. And and like you said, I think you said it really well. And there's nothing wrong with physical activity. Like, oh, good job. Yeah. Keep going. Good work. Yes. Move. Be active. Um, but when we go to get an education, the outcomes of our education shouldn't be what is another cool exercise I can randomly assign. The goal of an education is what for for our purposes is how can I do better? How can I be more effective? How can I be more efficient? And then how can I do it more safely? And being safe, effective, efficient, and driving optimal outcomes versus uh, and then and then once you once you do that, Brian, then it's like, okay, well, now, how do I? make that engaging? How do I make the best way or a, a progressed way or a systematic way engaging versus let me base everything around my engaging personality? You're engaging already. If that's who you are and that's your thing, then put together a program based on it. And and I just think you're right. I'm, I, I'm all about it. Like I'm, for, for somebody who own several fitness facilities, I'm all about you not having to go to a fitness facility to be fit, right? Do you like playing sure. basketball? Go play basketball more. You know mm -hmm. what's free? Uh, walking and running. So like do be physically active. I, I think that's great. But if you want to optimize performance and optimize outcomes, then that's an education. That's that, and and as we talked about already, there's there's an education component and there's an experience component, mm -hmm. and I believe that something that we're kind of touching on, but but dancing around is there is a creativity component, and sure. I think creativity is valuable. I think it's fun. It's unique. It keeps your clients engaged. It keeps you engaged as a fitness professional, but being creative but having that creativity fit into a system that will optimize outcomes is what should really be focused on. Right, there's nothing wrong with being creative. Creative Creativity is encouraged, right? Yeah. Every, every personal yeah. trainer, every fitness professional should be creative. They should be fun and dynamic and, you know, exercise shouldn't feel like a chore. It shouldn't feel painful. Mm -hmm. Right, it should be a wonderful experience, and we want to provide that for for our professionals, so they can teach that that concept to the, their clients, and so their clients can experience a healthy life. Right, we all want to, our our clients to be healthy and to yeah. maximize their benefits. So there's nothing wrong with being creative. You just have to do it smart. You know, so if I have a, a client who loves to train with kettlebells, for example, but they have debilitating low back pain, well, then I'm probably not going to be doing a bunch of, of power snatches with heavy kettlebells, you know, but I can do other things. I can do other type of kettlebell exercises to increase their core stability, right? I can do right. other types of movements where the client still thinks it's fun. The client's still benefiting and not being hurt by it. So it's, yeah, it's looking at the client and meeting them where they're at. More than anything, if, if fitness professionals get anything out of this podcast is uh, meet your clients where they're at and then have a progressive 
systematic approach to get them to where they want to be. Um, and if you do it in a smart way, that's still fun and dynamic and creative, that's even better. No one's saying yeah. it has to be dull and boring. No one's saying it has to be overly rigid. That's that's not what we're preaching. Um, we just want to make sure that it, the exercises match the client's abilities and what their goals are. I love that. All right. Well, what other nuggets can you give us without, uh, you know, doing <laughs> basically your Optima sessions on a podcast? Sure, sure. Uh, are there any other little things that you can tell us about the OPT changes? Um, most of the changes came to the programming template itself. So if anyone is, mm. is watching as used to the template, it's usually warm up, right? Core balance, plyoreactive yeah. um, resistance, and then cool down. Uh, we've updated that template a bit. Um, so if anyone is familiar with our corrective exercise specialists, we can they can integrate corrective exercise into the template. So we ah. changed some of the nomenclature around the template. So instead of calling it core balance, we call it activation. Um, and so they could either do core imbalance or they could do corrective exercise activation type exercise. Or like anterior tibialis. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah right. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So because you know to... it's funny when you put like core balance and reactive in there, and you're like, all right, well, where do I if if I'm doing activations, where do I do that? Where do I right. where do yeah. I do my well, anterior posterior tibs? So you can you can you can um, have your your anterior tib exercise in there, your rotator cuff type exercises in there, um, whatever whatever type of activation exercise you, you choose. You can, you can stick it in there. Um, and then we have an integration uh, component in the template as well. Um, and so you could either choose plyometric SAQ or you can choose an integration exercise. And so integration is talked about in our CES, right? So it's a, it's a total body compound type of movement um, where we increase neuromuscular control of the entire kinetic chain. So if someone is doing a CES protocol, they would Obviously, they start with the flexibility, the foam rolling, um, and, and the static stretching. Then they go to activation for the, it, the isolated strengthening type of exercises, and then they move to the integration section. Or if they're doing a traditional OPT workout, the, the same template can, you, can be utilized for either or, whether you're doing corrective exercise or a traditional OPT workout. So that was one of the things that we've updated with the template. Um, and then, of course, I mentioned the, the client choice. That's another little thing that we added in there, which is fun. Uh, yeah. Oh, and then we added something called skill acquisition. So, oh. Yeah, so skill acquisition, it's this part of the template. It's optional. Um, but if we wanted to, depending on the client, let's say they're brand new, they've never done weight training before in their life, and we just want to teach them basic movement patterns, um, pushing, pulling, pressing, squatting, hinging. Um, we can have that part of their programming. Or maybe they're uh, 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 an athlete and they want to learn Olympic weightlifting. Maybe that's the part of the workout where they can practice Olympic weightlifting with the dowel rod. Or they want to learn how to punch a bag and kick a bag because they are inspired by MMA athletes. So we've provided a little bit more options for the uh, the trainer to program some of these fun, unique type of exercises where it's still systematic and progressive. And if if the fitness professional doesn't feel comfortable programming those type of things and they want to stick strictly with OPT type of programming, 
they can't because we will we'll teach you how to do that. So it, then it, if it's not skill acquisition, then that could be a plyometric or SAQ exercises. This is awesome. And this is my first time hearing about it. So I'm learning with everybody else that's listening right now what some of the updates are going to be. It's pretty exciting. Uh, I am very excited about listening to your session at Optima then because I want to know what, what what we're doing at NASM and I'm, I'm not familiar with all of this yet and it's really exciting for me to hear about. So we're we're learning all about this together, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, it's pretty exciting to me. I look forward to your session at Optima. I wonder if there are a few people asking questions out there on the thread. So this is, so when we do these, for those of you who are listening to the podcast, these are usually done live on Facebook. And so we're doing a Facebook live uh, webcast and then people can ask questions live and they're usually done is, you know, they're, they're back and forth, but 12 PM Eastern time, um, Mondays and Thursdays. So if you ever want to check out what these look like, then you can go into the NASM Facebook, uh, uh, Facebook account and watch us live at those times. And then you can ask questions. So let me go to our producer, Greg, and see if there's any questions that have popped up. Uh, one one quick correct, correction for you. Uh, we do them uh, Monday and Fridays at uh, 12 p.m. Oh, Eastern. what did I say? Uh, Thursday? You said Thursdays. Which, oh, because... uh, right now, every day feels like every other day. So I understand. <laughs> there's, a, there's no problem with that. But uh, yeah. it does. Oh, I see my clients <laughs> on Monday, Thursday. That's why I see my clients Monday, Thursday. We do podcast Monday, Friday. All right. So Fridays at 12 noon. Um, so are there any questions that have come up? I think it's interesting that that people have probably, um, you know, as we're learning this together, I'm not sure if people are going, mm, I don't know if there are questions to be made or if people are actually curious about anything else. Hey, we do have uh, one, one question here in regard to the OPT model from Zach. He wants to know, in program design, it talks about cycling back to phase one and two before going from phase four to phase five. How long should that time period be before advancing to the next phase? So when someone is uh, using the OPT model, uh, it really just depends on their goals and their abilities. And so a good thing to do is perform another assessment, perform uh, you know, some movement screens, you know, the overhead squat, single leg squat, um, to identify how well they're doing. Um, and you should always be assessing in, in your sessions anyway, it's not required to go from phase one to phase two to phase four and then back down again before you ever go to phase five. That's not required. Um, we do talk about in the textbook that it's important to cycle back to phases one and two periodically so the client doesn't lose the stabilization adaptations that they occurred when they originally started with the program. So if you have an athlete who just fit or a client who just finished phase four, right? So now that's maximal strength training and they want to progress to the power training and they show movement competency, then go ahead and do it. Progre jump right to phase five. That's absolutely fine. If throughout that time period, they are showing limited range of motion, limited flexibility, poor stability, and neuromuscular control, then yeah, it would probably be a good idea to integrate some stabilization work prior to uh, performing phase five. Note that you can also do undulated periodization. And that's something that NASM does mm -hmm. teach and we do program. 
So you can you can program stabilization work on Monday, strength work on Wednesday, and power work on Friday. That's just an example. There's a million ways to to to, to you know kill a cat. It's gonna cat. I hate that phrase, but yeah. you know what I, you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so there's a million ways to do it. It's just based on the client's capabilities. So um, it's just phase one, especially for elite type of athletes, um, it's a good idea to reintroduce it periodically so they don't lose those stabilization benefits because someone could display maximum force production in their prime movers, right? Their chest and their their quads and their glutes and all that, but they may lack core stability, they may lack stability in their shoulders or their knees or their ankles. So it's always important to cycle back periodically to ensure that they are still displaying proper movement patterns, um, stability in their core and peripheral joints. Um, and they have a certain level of neuromuscular control and, and, and muscular endurance if they're gonna be doing power training or maximal type, type of strength training. Nice. Well said. Thank well said. You. you skinned that cat really well. You uh, <laughs> you peeled that grape. Yeah, I hate that phrase, but I didn't. We're going I didn't have another We're analogy to uh, to use, so I appreciate that. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else? We do. We have Miguel uh, Miguel in the chat that wants to know. Uh, and you mentioned uh, Tabata earlier, Brian. In what phase can I implement a Tabata program, and can I do a hybrid with stabilization training? You, you could. I would say phase three is probably the most ideal place for a Tabata um, or HIT or any of those type of things because the, the programming is pretty broad for phase three, right? The current model, it's six to 12 reps, and I think it's uh, zero to 90 seconds, I believe. So... If we're looking at, at that, then okay, that's pretty broad range. So if I wanted to do a Tabata style or a HIT style type of workout, I could do that in phase three. Keep in mind, most people don't actually do a true Tabata workout because they would only last four minutes, right? Tabata training typically in, in the gym industry doesn't exist. It, there's a modified version of Tabata that people typically do, but um, when the researcher, and his last name was Tabata, that's where it came from, um, he's, a, he's a Japanese researcher, he had elite cyclists performing at 170% of VO2 max. Most fitness enthusiasts will never ever reach that level of intensity. So a modified version of Tabata is probably more applicable to your everyday mm -hmm. fitness client than actually true Tabata because most people aren't that fit. They can't get to that high intensity. Yeah, that, that uh, ratio is really what people are taking from the Tabata training. So the 20 seconds of work and 10 seconds of break, right. that's, that's really what people are taking away from it. They are not taking away the protocols. And those protocols are, you know, the 20 seconds of work, 10 seconds of break, eight rounds and like you said that's that's four minutes but they also worked at 120 percent of f ftp which is uh, functional threshold power and that's something that's used a lot in cycling to increase people's uh anaerobic threshold by 
pushing them really, really hard. So I've heard some people say it's 120% uh, of VO2 uh, max, which is impossible because VO2 max is already your max. So you can't go 120%. It's 120% of your functional um, training capacity uh, or your, your threshold power. And so that's a, that's a huge, huge challenge for anybody to do. If you do uh, basically an almost complete all out sprint and then doing that for 20 seconds, which is already going to decline. You can't, right. most you people can't. never even hold that for, for 20 seconds. It's usually 10, maybe 15 seconds at an all out sprint. Um, and then your recovery time, ideally, if we're practicing for performance, and we've talked about this in this episode already, we're talking about increasing performance, then I need to give a, a work to rest ratio of one to eight, one to 10, and some researchers say even more. So if I got a 20 second break, uh, I'm sorry, 20 second work, and then uh, you know I multiply that, let's say times 10, that's the 200 seconds of rest after a 20 second break. But that's, that seems like such an absurd amount of rest. But ideally what's happening is that you're building up your creatine phosphate store so you can be back in that ATP, uh, uh, CP state where you can now push again extremely hard for 20 seconds. And Tabata, you're not, a, you're not building that back up. So it's, it's really designed as a metabolic challenge, not a performance-based outcome. And so we're working different things. And do we get benefits for anaerobic outcomes with true Tabata training? Yes. Do you get aerobic outcomes from true Tabata training? And this is where the research was fascinating. And it was probably our first time actually seeing it is that you see anaerobic work giving you aerobic benefit. Right. And that was a huge benefit of these kind of studies. But when people do it and they're doing classes and they're going, we're doing a Tabata workout class, they're basically saying we're exercising for 20 seconds and breaking for 10 seconds. The, the expression of intensity is not put into those workouts. Doesn't mean that they're bad workouts, um, but it's also a lot of volume for people to do. Uh, incredible amounts of volume, low amount of rest. And so if we don't have a, a fitness level and remember fitness level is not just about your metabolic fitness level, but it's, it can be a repetition, right? So if you're just doing squats and you're not used to doing that and you do a lot of them, then that can be very painful for your muscles. Uh, if your your soft tissue outside of muscles is not ready to take that on, then, then other types of potential damages can come. So if you are doing it, it's important to understand, like, listen to your body. Um, you know, don't, you, nobody's trying to get fit today. It's not <laughs> today. Let's work out today. And now it did it. Um, so let's, let's not try to get fit today. Let's, let's play this long game and understand that one way to ensure that you do not get your results is getting hurt in the process. So listen to your body. And, you know, for us as professionals, we need to listen to our programming and make sure we're choosing wise programming to implement with our clients. 
Yeah, great points. And just a couple of things to tack on to that. I know you've had Fabio on, on the podcast yeah. before, right? So um, Fabio Kamana, who's one of our other faculty, brilliant guy. And he, he loves to talk about, and it's a really important point, maximal effort versus maximal performance, yes, right? So if I am limiting my rest periods and I don't allow my ATP stores to fully regenerate and I go through another set, I am working at maximal effort, right? But I'm not working at maximal performance. You could think yeah. of it as someone who's doing a 100-meter a sprint. If I do a 100-meter sprint as fast as I can, maybe I'm an Olympic caliber sprinter, and then I only rest for a minute and I do it again, over time, my, my times are going to slow, even though I'm giving maximum effort. So that may not be the best protocol if my end goal is to increase my sprint time. Now, if my end goal is metabolic adaptations, like improved aerobic endurance, then okay, that, that, that's it. So it's really important to identify, are we training for maximal effort and metabolic adaptations, maybe to lose weight and, and get a little bit more fit, or are we training for maximal performance because I'm an athlete? Because the, the, the protocols, the training that we would do is very different. Rest periods are used for a specific reason, right? It's, it's to replace our ATP and our energy so we can perform again at, at our, our best effort or our, our best performance rather than our best effort. Um, but if someone's looking to lose weight and they want to use Tabata or HIT or any of these type of training, just make sure it's done safely um, because Rick brought up a great point. Um, our cardiovascular system adapts much faster than our connective tissue um, and our on our muscles. So if you're developing joint pain, um, strains and sprains and, and those type of things, that's because you didn't give your connective tissue enough time to adapt to to adapt to uh, to the training protocol. So it's it's important to be systematic in that. Excellent, well said. All right, Greg, do we have any other questions that have popped up? Uh, we do not, but I wanted to remind everybody that you can hear more from Rick and Brian at uh, NASM Optima October thirteenth through the sixteenth. Uh, Brian's session is October sixteenth at two thirty. PM uh, Pacific Standard Time uh, is NASM OPT model, new guidelines and protocols. Highly recommend uh, you joining. I always uh, enjoy listening to Brian and learning from him, and I know you will too at, at NASM Optima. So click the link in the description of the show. You can get uh, get everything you need there to join Brian and Rick for their sessions at Optima. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thank, thank you, you, Greg. Uh, also, I want to say thank you to Miguel and to Zach for asking questions. Uh, we appreciate those questions being asked on the shows, though, that if you've got questions, then other people probably have them too, giving us the opportunity to answer them and other people to hear those questions and answers. So thank you, uh, gentlemen, for being a part of that. And then, of course, a huge thank you to my friend, my colleague, and my guest today, Brian Sutton. Thanks, man. Thank you, Rich. It was a pleasure. Let's do this again. This was so much fun. Awesome. And How can people get you? In... Oh, dude, thank you so much. How yeah. can people get in touch with you if they have questions about um, the OPT model? Sure. Uh, my email is pretty simple. It's brian.sutton, S-U-T-T-O-N, at nasm.org. Um, I'm not on social except for LinkedIn. You can probably find me on LinkedIn. So and that's about it. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Very good. Well, 
then to follow suit, if you guys have questions for me, mine is rick.richie, R-I-C-H-E-Y at N-A-S-M.org. And you know, you can hit me up on Instagram, uh, which is where I'm most active, dr.rickrichie. Thank you so much for being here. This is the NASM CPT Podcast.